Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, a music podcast where we chat to a new guest each week, talk about their life and creative endeavours and talk to them about some of the music they love. Our show works by chatting to our guests about music, their songwriting techniques and occasionally getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. Welcome to episode 194. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is Tyrone Noonan. The George frontman is back on the road with his sister, frontwoman Katie Noonan, to celebrate the 20th anniversary of their debut record, Polly Serena. In today's episode, we're speaking with Tyrone about the success of the record 20 years on, how the industry has shifted since then, and touring with family once again. Here we go. Our guest today is one of the founding members of Australian indie rock band, George. The band released their debut record, Polly Serena, 20 years ago, and it debuted at number one, which was only the 10th time that an Aussie band had achieved that feat. Over the next few weeks, they're touring the country to celebrate and play Polly Serena in full. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Tyrone Noonan. Hello, how are we? Hi, Simon. How are you going, mate? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, good, good. Lovely sunny day here in Brisbane. I was going to say that it looks like there's quite a a lovely blue sky behind you in that view of yours. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, We very much appreciate your time today. It is an exciting time, exciting week for yourself. For a lot of people who might not be aware, you're currently in the midst of celebrating the 20th anniversary of Polly Serena, the debut album from George. Um, Firstly, congratulations. This is a huge milestone. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, it's, uh, it's been an absolutely wonderful experience so far. It is an incredible record. I know that um, personally speaking as a young teen in the early 2000s at that time, uh, this record was, was a huge kind of record for people like myself and like-minded people into indie music, pop music. Um, I feel like the album covers quite a, quite a lot of ground, which I want to get into a little bit later. But for you... How, uh, I guess, how are you feeling looking back and and being nostalgic about this? How are you feeling with this album now? Well, what's really exciting is that, um, you know, it playing these songs again, it doesn't feel like we're playing tired old music. You know, it, <clears throat> it still seems to sound fresh for some reason, um, which I think <clears throat> at the time, you know, we were trying to make, the most unique music we could. <clears throat> and I guess as a result of that, it, it maybe wasn't really following any kind of, you know, necessary musical trends at the time. And I think maybe that's the reason why it doesn't sound dated now. But, uh, you know, also I think adding to that is the 
youthful exuberance of my ne- my my wonderful nephew Dexter on drums. You know, it's just amazing <laughs> as well. So I think uh, you know, there's that youthful energy as well that's that's happening too, which is great. One hundred percent. I am um, in preparation for today. I did kind of go back and have a look at. The, I guess the charts or what was happening in music around that time in 2001, 2002. Yep. And, and th- there's a lot of Creed, there's a lot of Kid Rock, <laughs> there's a lot of <laughs> other artists which I think might be very dated now, but I would agree that there was nothing kind of like this before or after the album either, that it kind of stands out as its own unique uh, record from that time. Well, that's great to hear that because that, that's what we were aiming for. So it's fantastic to hear that that other people thought that too, you know? Yeah, of course. Was was there ever any thought at that time when you're about to release an album, was there ever any thought at that time, worry, concerns? Obviously you're not going to be a, a Creed, Kid Rock tribute band, but any thoughts of what if this doesn't work out, what if it doesn't kind of fit in with any of our contemporaries? At the time? No, we didn't really think about that, to be honest. <clears throat> we were just kind of doing our own thing. We were never really part of like, any kind of scene or anything like that. You know, we just kind of just kind of grew our own little fan base. I mean, we were pretty lucky from the start um, because at the start of the band, we started out, I think, as an 11-piece and then we got down to a 7-piece and we were 7-piece for, for quite a while and that included two sets of siblings, inclu- including um, the Stuart twins, uh, Nick and, and James. James is... is uh, you know, a TV celebrity. He's on Home and Away these days. But um, at the time he was studying acting and, you know, um, actors and other creatives like that understand that, you know, their fellow artists need support. And so we had a kind of ready-made crowd, I think, from our first gig, (laughs) which was great. So that kind of helped helped build things, you know, because if there's people there already... And then other people want to go, well, what's, what's this all about? Do you know what I mean? Well, of course, yeah. I'm, I'm curious because, as you said, it did start out as an 11 and then I think it whittled down to, I think that there was nine or seven at one point and then yes. eventually landed on the, the five. Yes. What was that moment like? When you got to five, was it kind of, there was a bit of a clarity thing there where you go, this is it? Or was it just that that's how it ended up? Yeah, pretty much. I think so. That's what happened. Yeah. It was the the sound started to really come together once we got down to the to the uh, to the core five piece group. Yeah, absolutely. The the record at the time as well. It it became a bit of a I want to say a, a, a monster in in Australia. <laughs> um, I think uh, there was six RA award nominations. There was one win for the band, um, and obviously hindsight is always twenty twenty. But were you surprised? I know we've been talking about the difference in the record compared to what was out at the time. Do you have any memory being surprised at the success of the record back then, and thinking why? Not why is this doing so well, but yeah, I guess wondering what was going on. Absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, a lot of people were saying to us before the album was released, you know, you guys are going to go number one. We were like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like <laughs> a little indie indie rock band from Brisbane is going to go number one. We just didn't really think it was possible, to be honest. 
we used to kind of have a little chuckle to ourselves when people would say that. But then um, it uh, it turned up that it happened. I think we were in yelling up in Western Australia, having having dinner after soundcheck for a gig, and uh, I think that was with Spearhead. We were touring with Spearhead, and um, and uh, yeah, and then you know our Nokia bricks, which they would have been at the time, all started <laughs> buzzing, and you know with the news that we, we were going to debut at number one, we were just jumping around like lunatics. It was um, just an incredible feeling, you know, <clears throat> because we didn't write music, you know, with commercial intention um, behind it, you know. The fact that it kind of became that successful is kind of still a bit of a mystery to all of us, really, uh, except, I guess, you know, we had a lot of support early on from Triple J, and other community radio stations and you know we toured a lot uh on the back of that support and um so i suppose that's that's a big part of the story too just getting out there and working hard on the road you know um but yeah still to for that for that to happen was was uh incredible to all of us <laughs> the the record um i guess birthed some incredible pieces of music there I think that some of those tracks that really don't go towards any kind of normal form not even normal form but like the your standard three minutes 20 seconds pop song that those songs really have stood the test of time I think that um I still hear release when I go out shopping into certain stores I feel like that still plays in a lot of lot of places um breathing now and special ones still do really hold this um for lack of a better term, special place in people's hearts. That's great. Back back then, um, do you remember the songwriting process for the band? I imagine it was different kind of every track, but do you remember working on some of these songs and, and wondering whether you had caught something magic and something special in, in some of these brilliant tracks? Yeah, well, I guess the first thing to say is that um, essentially they're all live recordings with some overdubs. So each of the each of the bed tracks, as you call it, you know the rhythm tracks with the lead vocals, you know, like a live performance of the song, they were all recorded live, live to tape. Um, and I think there's something the kind of magical that you can't quite quantify that that is captured when it's five people all making music at the same time. And I think that might be part of it part of the reason for um for why it uh it captured people's attention and i think also you know um you know katie's songs that you just mentioned you know special ones you know that was a really important song for for a lot of women i think you know uh, an empowering kind of song you know and i think she wrote that when she was 19 or something <laughs> so i think it still blows her away that you know it could mean so much to to particularly much older women at the time too, you know, but um, yeah, I guess, I guess you know the, the there's one thing the music, but I guess all the you know the the lyrics also had some meaning too, I guess, you know. So it wasn't like you just your typical pop song where it's probably you know overall maybe a little more superficial, not necessarily. Mm. Like some great pop songs are really deep, you know. But, um, but but by and large, you know, your average pop song these days doesn't necessarily carry a lot of 
heavy subject matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I would 100% agree with that. I think um, having a look back, uh, and as you said, like at the time, Katie was someone who those songs, they resonated with fans. They resonated a lot with female identifying fans. And I think that um, I'm trying to remember which one it was. There was a countdown recently where they went back and looked through some of the hottest 100s and it was only Katie and Janet from Spiderbait who are the only two Australian women on there, which is in, like silly to think now because there's now so many um, female identifying artists that Absolutely. are on the charts and in the hottest 100s. But at the time, Katie and Janet were doing an incredible job of kind of spearheading that themselves. It's crazy, hey? And, and, yeah. and neither of those ladies came from, you know, one of the real, well, I guess Brisbane became that way. We were part of that wave, but I guess but, but prior to, to us, you know. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Brisbane and and the tiny town, where are they from? Um, Spiderbait? They came from this little town, Violet Town, I think. Uh, yes. Yeah, I yes. don't think, you know, particularly Violet Town, you know, they weren't necessarily known as being, you know, music hubs to break out of either, you know? Very, that's actually a very strong point, yeah. <laughs> but Brisbane did become, you know, a really good band town and I think we were part of that wave, you know, that started with Powderfinger. So it's probably unfair to say that about Brisbane. But, you know, it's still, even today, you know, um, there's amazing stuff coming out of Brisbane now. But even today, though, you know, the industry itself is still in, the people that make the decisions, they're all still in Sydney and Melbourne, you know. Very much so. As um, as we were talking before we started recording, being based in Adelaide, I'm very, very well aware of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, Adelaide yeah. can share similar kind of scenarios in that way. Yes, I would agree. We um, we we do our part. We have our great output both for both cities. But yeah, we're still yeah. still trying to. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, and that's yeah. one thing that really impressed me when we first started going to Adelaide was how amazing the live music scene was for the size of the town, you know, because I think it's probably, what, about half the size of Brisbane? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's one thing that really impressed me. It's like, you know, because when we started performing in Adelaide, uh, well, we, we were really lucky too. One of our early gigs was was like a Adelaide Fringe gig as well, which was great. 
Um, that was a special performance. We had Buto performances, uh, Buto dancers performing with us. Oh yeah. That night. I'm not sure if you're aware of Buto. It's a um, Japanese origin kind of art form that developed out of, um, I think, as a reaction initially to, you know, Hiroshima and, and Nagasaki. Very interesting art form. Um, and but then you know, remember playing in pubs like. Um, the Seven Stars, I think. Is that right? Yes, yeah. And the Austral. Yep, still there, still trading. Great. And other pubs like that, you know, you know, working our way up towards getting to the Gov, you know. It was fantastic. And I, I was always really impressed with the live music scene in Adelaide. I was like, wow, this is a really healthy music scene for a town of this size. It's amazing, you know, pushing above its weight, basically. That's what I've always thought. That's very kind of you. We, we we do seem to do all right. We've recently had some new new venues open up, which you'll be um, able to check out if, if you've got that spare time uh, later this week when you are here in Adelaide, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, very quickly before we move on to the, the tour, which is why we are here to speak today, I just want to touch on very quickly something that you just mentioned before, I guess the, the subject matter of um, some of the songs that might be in current music and, and some of the songs that George was tackling back then because I feel that you guys were looking at um, corporate greed, you were looking at climate change, you were talking about the, uh, I guess, the not so lovely aspects of relationships, which has been covered in song before, but I feel it was done in a really unique way. And I feel that a lot of those topics still resonate well today. <laughs> um, unfortunately, we're still dealing with climate change, corporate greed, everything else. I know. Was yeah, when I, when I perform the song Breaking It Slowly, it's like there's a kind of a almost a tinge of sadness because it's like it's almost like the song is, you know, more relevant or more apparent now than maybe it even was 20 years ago, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Was has have you found that now performing some of these songs already and kind of revisiting it, that they have either taken on not a new meaning, but they've that they've taken on something that is still kind of resonating, still happening now. Absolutely, and you know it's funny too. I did a last last year. <coughs> I did an amazing little mini tour around Queensland, um, celebrating the fiftieth anniversary of Marvin Gaye's album "What's Going On." You know, and he was really, you know, looking back, you know, it's 50 years old last year. He was so far ahead of all of his other contemporaries. And I, I even include, you know, great social, socially aware songwriters like John Lennon and stuff, particularly when it comes to the environment, you know. And that's like, you know, a lot of people were singing about the struggles of African-Americans, you know, at that time. And I think he... He did that so well and also talking about Vietnam and, and the war and and the impact of that on, on the society back home. But uh, but his, his, his discussions about the climate and about the environment back then, you know, and talking about ecology, it's just mind-blowing. You know, he was so far ahead of his time. So it's, it's humbling if you get the chance to write something that years later, you know, is in some kind of similar vein. I would never, I would never attest to, to have ever written anything as good as Marvin Gaye. But yeah, anyway. Uh, look, without I don't want to get myself in trouble with with too many people of the, you know, the music kind of purists. That I feel that George's 
polystyrene does hold up to, we won't say it's the same as Marvin Gaye, what's going on, but there are messages for each generation that I feel still kind of hold up and still ring true. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much, mate. That's wonderful. Um, now, as we mentioned, you are currently on tour. You've already played, um, sorry, yourself and Katie are touring Polystyrene around the country at the moment um, in celebration of its 20th anniversary. You mentioned um, Dexter before, who is Katie's son, your nephew who's joined you on the drums. And um, I'm trying to think, I think it was, who have we got? Uh, Brendan and Steele also joining you on the tour as well. Yes. What have these shows been like so far? How's it been revisiting some of these um, these songs? Uh, it's just been, it's been a really life-affirming experience it really has it's um it's a it's a great bond like um because uh katie's done a lot of gigs in the past with um with uh steel and dexter because they're the rhythm section for her katie and trio band and so they they already had that great connection and then brandon worked with katie on uh Joni mitchell uh tribute show which was great. So, so uh, it's a really great bunch of musicians that have come together, and, and it feels, you know, I mean, it's three fifths family, so it just has that <laughs> really nice kind of energy on stage. It's beautiful, it really. It's very, very special experience. I can imagine that it does have a, a like a unique quality to it that you're kind of experiencing. Well, as you said previously, there were a different set of twins. Now it's kind of a another version of like a family band in a way. Yeah. Um, for Dexter, because again, talking about the song mechanics of George, some of these songs were quite—I don't want to say difficult—but like there's different time signatures, there's changes, there's all these kind of things going on at once. How did he find taking to this music? Is he has he has he mastered it so far? Yeah, he's an absolute gun. He's an absolute monster. <laughs> um, um, a woman called Angela Fabian, who's a dear friend of mine. She was uh, she became a finalist on The Voice a few years back. Uh, we were at the Pride Festival watching um, Katie's trio, and she said, "You know, this is what I miss about drummers. You know, this is what I miss about the United States. You know, drummers who are in the pocket." <laughs> She's saying that about my little nephew. <laughs> I'm like, "Wow, <laughs> just find a way." Yeah, yeah, he's an absolute gun. He's killing it. That's awesome to hear. Um, as I mentioned, there are a few more shows, I guess, coming up this week. We've got Adelaide and I think that there's Wollongong and Sydney over the next few weeks. That's right. How are you feeling about the, I guess, the last run of shows? So, so wrapping up, it's only a short celebration, but how are you feeling about wrapping up those shows and then kind of, uh, I guess, not putting them to rest once again, but but having having this run completed? Yeah, well, it's, it's amazing. I'm sure there'll be a slight tinge of sadness on the last night because it's just it's so much fun to be able to just do this you know it's um oh gee they a bunch of are they 12 inches or seven inches am i getting a perspective thing uh they are 12 inches oh yeah right okay it's a distance thing (laughs) so where are you doing this from is this is this your home or is this a shop this is our uh, little home office slash studio i love it that's fantastic so so cool to see records up on the wall you, you've given me the perfect segue. I, um, as of I think a few weeks ago, I put in my pre-order for the the Police Arena LP that is coming out in November. I, th- I believe this is the first time it's been pressed on vinyl. That's right. 
And uh, I can inform you that it sounds amazing. It actually, <laughs> it actually sounds much better than the CD, you know, as long as you've got a decent system, of course, because mm-hmm. that's the only thing with vinyl is it's an expensive art form if you want it to sound really good. But then it does <laughs> sound really good. If you're willing to spend a little bit of money, it sounds incredible. So I've got a mate who's got an incredible audiophile system and, um, and these ridiculous headphones they're like supposedly the best in the world or whatever. So um, he's a radiologist, you, you see, so you know, he can afford these these things. Anyway, I listened to it on that and I was absolutely blown away. Like the, the separation between the instruments, you could hear all the separations. It was, I always felt like the final mixes that we were hearing in the mixing room, when we got the CD back, it didn't quite sound the same. It was kind of like more matched mm. together because... You know, we originally recorded to tape and then it's transferred to 24-bit audio, right, for the final masters. <clears throat> and and CDs are 16-bit and also 44 kilohertz. So it is kind of like a more compressed format in the first place, you know. It's not yeah. – it's obviously much better than MP3, but it is still a compressed format. So to hear, to hear, to hear this music now in an uncompressed format on, on vinyl – it's just fantastic. So yeah, if you have a decent system, and it's forty-five too for all the audio, audio files out there, forty-five up, <laughs> double vinyl. Yes, it really does sound amazing. Um, I think you know we were lucky, I guess, maybe this time round to have to have been involved in a major label with this uh, particular re-release because I think uh, I've heard that the place where the mastering was done in Czechoslovakia you know, it can be a bit hit and miss, <clears throat> like a lot of these places. Uh, but <clears throat> uh, apparently, you know, they have their A team, their B team, you know, right down to their their G team, I think. <laughs> and, okay, that might be uh, that might be an exaggeration. But I think we obviously got the A team <laughs> or someone that really cared about the music in, uh, in uh, you know, doing the vinyl, the vinyl master for this re-release. So, yep. It is very exciting. We will make sure that the um, the link to the pre-order site is included into the show notes of this podcast so anyone listening to this conversation can go ahead and do themselves a favour and pre-order the record. Um, That's right. And if you pre-order... I think, sorry, go on. No, 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 you go. Oh, if you, if you pre-order the uh, record at the show <clears throat> and then you show the, the our merchandise um, seller the, the, uh, the receipt... <clears throat> then you can get a signed art card, which is basically the front cover of, of the record, which we'll sign for you on the night. <laughs> that is brilliant. Because, yeah, we'll make sure that that is known. Unfortunately, they couldn't get the vinyl ready in time for the for the tour. <laughs> <laughs> Look, again, some people I feel um, have been waiting years for this, and so I think the the, the arrival of the vinyl is hap- their people are happy enough. They're, they're not too fussed on that. They're happy to wait a few more weeks if it means that they get nice. it in their hands. Yes, you've been waiting 20 years, so another, another <laughs> few weeks doesn't matter. <laughs> um, Tyrone, usually would ask our guests uh, like what they're currently listening to if there is anything that uh, is on high rotation for yourself at the moment. Oh, interesting. <clears throat> well, lately it's been more retrospective stuff because... Katie mentioned in an interview that she thinks that the band Earlow, Electric Light Orchestra, 
mm-hmm. part of the DNA of our band. So, so I've been going back and having a retrospective because I know like they're a big influence on me, but I didn't necessarily see how much of an influence they were on on my songwriting or my my tone selection or part ideas or arrangement ideas. <clears throat> Excuse me, <clears throat> and things like that. <clears throat> so I've been listening to a lot of ELO lately and, and noticing, oh, gosh, okay. I think being able to step back, <laughs> be a bit more objective and realise, yes, I think she might be right. I just couldn't, I just couldn't see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm like in real time I'm trying to think of some ELO songs and apply them to, to George tracks and I'm, I can kind of see that there might be some certain facets or even sounds there, yeah, but well, uh, that's a very interesting point. Yeah, well, people who don't really know the band will probably just know the more kind of cheesy pop hits, you know. But, um, yeah, some of their songs are just incredible, you know, amazing. And the arrangements are just breathtaking, you know, genius. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's pop genius, a lot of it, yeah. Anyway. Look, I'm I'm very much appreciate that insight. I think going back and might have a look at some um some of those deeper cuts of ELO uh, this evening or later tonight when um when going through the the, yeah, start it, start the editing of this podcast. Start the first record, <laughs> man. The first record will really spin you out because it's like they were definitely like like an art rock, you know, prog ensemble basically at that point. Interesting. But then it's really interesting. There are these, there are these little bits where Jeff, Jeff Ling goes into, like, you know, some kind of semblance of a song and you can see the, 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 um, the kind of the embryo of his songwriting kind of starting amongst all this weird, weird time, kind of like, <laughs> all this kind of weird stuff. Then comes this little tiny little pop moment and you see, ah, there it is. There's the, the, the determination <laughs> of what's to come. It's really interesting. Yeah, that's incredible. I think we'll I will start with the debut record and then um, work my way up from there. But yeah. um, Tyrone, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. I do appreciate it. Um, congratulations again on the twentieth anniversary of Poly Serena and the tour, which is continuing through. We'll put all the details in the podcast show notes. But um, thank you again for coming on. No worries. And that's our show. A massive thank you to Tyrone Noonan for his time. Tyrone and Katie will be playing shows over the next few weeks. And we've left links in the show notes if you'd like to catch the tour or pre-order the Poly Serena vinyl. We also want to give a huge shout out to Nicole and Vanessa at Revolutions PR for helping out with today's interview. If you like this show, please subscribe wherever you get your pods and stay up to date when new episodes are released. We release new shows each Wednesday and Friday morning and we now have a Patreon you can find within the show notes of this episode. You can follow the player's profile on Spotify, and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Until next week, cheers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.